Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, grow you as a disciple, and help you serve His purpose. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I can get into the second part of the, the message, which I didn't quite get to in the first service, because it's just that I like to talk. Um, but in all of it, it says, I just found that you know, QR codes are a reflection of who we are. They've been formulated uniquely, and there's not one like that anywhere else in the world. Otherwise, it'd, you'd be all over the place. You'd be going to the wrong sides. But that's us. We've been made like that. God has done the, he's created an imprint of himself that allowed your individuality and uniqueness to be in that code. Isn't that incredible, isn't it? Anyway, I just found that fascinating. And by the way, I mean, your chaplaincy, Stu, I love that. You're pastoring, you're teaching, and now singing career. Man, you're being launched. I'm really pumped about that. So today, you know, like the message I've just called it is a life worth following. And when I think, uh, Amy, good to see you. I noticed a little bump out there. And hello, something's coming along nicely. So obviously, no problems. Don't need to be prayed for at all, Dan. Everything's working well. Um, but in all of that, you know, when Amy said that, it was like, um, now again, it's, uh, again, help me out here, John. I've written it up here. Call yourself a Christian. That's right. I love that. Call yourself a Christian. You've got to love that, haven't you? Why? You know what I mean? It's, and a question mark, as John said, but a question mark at the end. It's not a statement. It's a, it's a question. Call yourself a Christian. Why? And, you know, what, what sets us apart? Why are we different? And when Amy sent me that email and then John clarified it for me, thought around that was simply, I am unique. And as a Christian, we are unique. We don't become clone-like. We, our individuality, our created being is uniquely designed by God specifically and he designed you to be you. And a lot of us, we try to be somebody else. But God doesn't want you to be someone else. He wants to you, you to be you. And in your uniqueness, what's the goal that he wants? He wants you to be more like him. Correct? The imprint he designed for your uniqueness, but it came out of an imprint which was an imprint of who he is. And this message is getting that DNA, that QR code in you to actually be uniquely you and not try to be someone else. I know starting out to preach, and a lot of young guys, when they get up to minister and preach, they start to sound like they're an Australian. You know, hey, mate, how are you, buddy? How's it going? Then they get up and preach, hmm, power of God will upon you. Yeah, what happened to you? You changed. What is that? Because we think you've you got to sound like that. I remember the young preachers years ago in college. They sounded like an American, and they're Aussies. You know, grew up in W, you know, Burke or something like that. And like, they're Aussies. But they sounded differently. Don't try to be someone else. Be you. God designed you that way. He wants you to be that way. And again, my message, a life worth following. The question I have to that, is your life worth following? Good question, right? Is it worthwhile following? If so, why? The second part is, if not, why not? But let's major on the, if so, Why? Do you know why your life's worth following? Because I'm good looking. Yes, that could be it. I mean, Dan doesn't have a problem with that. Stu and I look at Dan and go, oh, I should know, I should know, I should know. 
they were the days. John also, I mean, John, they were the days. Things change. Gravity takes over when you get older. Shame about that. But the, the reality is your life is so important and to see the value of who you are. So we so often look up here, and you can look in Ephesians chapter 4, and it, it talks about, you know, and God established prophets, apostles, teachers, all the rest of it. And we see that the podium and the pulpit and the preacher behind it, they've got it all. And I'm just here to fill in the gaps. No, you're not here to fill in the gaps. You're uniquely here because God designed you and he gave you life because he wanted you to be you. And in your uniqueness, in your QR code, he wants that uniqueness to express him, Christ-likeness. And ultimately, God wants us to improve our reflective ability of who he is in our life. And do I hear an amen to that? The people here aren't the ones who've got it all together, by no means. By no means. Stuart's nodding, he said he's in total agreement with me. I feel totally, you stand up here and you have this privilege to speak to people. But I'm just like, you know, I'm made of the same material. People say, but Pastor Greg, you're a pastor. I say, so what? I'm made of the same flesh, the same stuff, go through the same challenges. I don't have a get out of jail pass free ticket up here. We're all in this together. And this message is more about not what the people at the front do, it's what we do as a body because I am unique. God created me in His image and I tell you what, I'm going to reflect more of Christ. Amen? Can I say amen and amen? Let's put our hands together. Thank you, Lord. To jump very quickly into this, how did Jesus start His ministry? Did He start His ministry like, everybody sit down, let me, I need a couple of days, sit here and I'm going to give you the game plan. He didn't do that at all. In all the accounts, you can look in John chapter 1, verse 38, of Andrew and another disciple. When, when John the Baptist says, there's the, the, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the, the chosen one, they just followed him. Then Jesus asked him, what, what do you guys want? What do you want? They started to follow. And Jesus, when they said, well, you know, like, you're, you're the, the rabbi, the teacher, you're, you're the, the, the chosen one. We've heard John talk about this. What does he say? All right, okay, let me tell you who I am. He doesn't say that at all. He asked them, what do you want? And they said, well, you're the teacher. And they said, well, come on, follow me. Come and see. And I love that because we've built a culture, an educational culture, and we're talking about this with John and Jackie last night, about everything is like, we've just got to improve our communication. We do need to improve our communication, no question about it. But it is only one part of our, the, our Christ-likeness. And that Christ-likeness has many dimensions. And I want to talk about those dimensions here today. As I said, you can see in John 1, verse 38 and 39, that story I just spoke to you about. Again, when he, he's following you know, the disciples, he goes out there, walks by the Sea of Galilee. You know, John and James are there and Peter and, and Andrew on different versions of it. You see all the guys, Nathaniel, you see Philip. What is he just says, guys, come and follow me. He's saying... There's power in watching. And again, we've mucked it up. And I'll get to my message in a moment. We've mucked this up a little bit because we put so much emphasis upon communication and word alone. It's part of the equation. Why, did you, why are you repeating yourself, Greg? Because I know you don't get it the first time. You know, a, a woman will hear something and, you know, about seven times it's grounded in her for life. Grounded in. 
She'll never forget it. And we know that some days. Some, some of you got that. Husband's going, yeah, I know, you never forget that. <laughs> but for a man to get something, to get a revelation, to truly get it, a woman seven times, she's got it for a lifetime. She'll never forget it. A man, 35. <laughs> Hello, I've just given you a get out of jail card, guys. And your wife says, and my wife says, why don't you get it? How many times have we discussed this? 29. <laughs> There's the issue right there, baby. Anyway, back to the message. Talking about being more Christ-like, and again, you know, you know, uh, being a Christian, is your Christianity coming out? Are you seen? Do people ever say to you, and they should say to you, look, without you saying, I'm a Christian, can't you see? <laughs> Here's my card. You want a track? No, that's not Christianity. You are a reflection, and people see there's something different about you. That's what we should be focusing on, to be a Christian, to be a real Christian, we are supposed to be, in our DNA, people are seeing something of Christ come out of our life. And what they're seeing, they know, is that we've got something they need. And that's why we, get, we just don't gather here. And I love that, the, you know, to be a Christian, to what, what separates us, because we have something. We found Christ. We found Jesus. It revolutionized our world. But in that moment... Do we, again, pull down the shades on the reflection or do we sh start to shine and turn up the light a little brighter? I'd love today to challenge you to turn up the, bright, the, the light a little brighter so that people do say there's something different about you and what you've got I'd love to have. Not just because of what you say, there's more to it. Amen? There was a, a, a great story which... Uh, Back in the 1890s, a gentleman by the name of Charles Sheldon, he was a, a pastor in a congregationalist church, small church, and he, he was working on a, a sermon and he was struggling because his small congregation of about 70, 50, 70 people for years would come faithfully to church every Sunday, but they'd come to church and they'd leave church and nothing had changed. He got highly frustrated and he was personally challenged and he, he started to preach a message about a story, it was about a just a fictitious individual or individuals and a story of a place called Raymond. And it was sort of a reflection of him, but he wrote this novel out of sermons in which he spoke over a number of weeks to his congregation. It came out of his own personal frustration because his people would just be on a Sunday, then go home. Frustrated him. So he wrote that and he tried to stir them by just simply starting to preach the message of Christ through this story, which became a novel, which became, again, one of the best-selling Christian books still today, written in 1896. Could that be possible? Yes. Over 50 million copies were sold, which is translated into 45 languages. Incredible. This guy got a personal revelation. There's something wrong here. Christianity is not being expressed through the people I'm preaching faithfully to. And the big question also, what about me? What about me? Very quickly, the story is simply about a gentleman who's in desperate need, comes by and, and his world had fallen to pieces. That he's, he was without finance, he had no money, he hadn't eaten. He was, he was on the edge of death and he came and knocked upon the pastor's door. This is in, within the novel of this book, which is called In His Steps. 
in which Charles Sheldon was writing about. And in this story that talks to this man, he knocks on the door and, and the pastor opens the door. And he, as he opens the door, here is this man and he, there's a smell about him. He hasn't bathed for weeks, for how long, who knows, the smell, the stench coming from him. But also, too, just the look of him looking gaunt and, and terrible and all the rest of it. He said, sir, dear, kind sir, could you just help me, please? He was looking for some food or some money just to be able to survive and get on. And the, the, the pastor in the book looks at him and thinks, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He had to prepare for the next day's sermon. The next day, this man comes into the service. And as he walks in the service, he stumbles his way down this small congregation. As he stumbles, he gets to the very front looking at the pastor of this church. And he turns around and he said, all I will ask for was just a little help. And I ask you this question, what would Jesus do? And whether in that moment, I can't recall exactly within the book, but it's in that moment or just not long after that man passes away. And that pastor, again, Charles Sheldon's writing about a pastor, but a reflection of himself and his own frustrations with his own congregation. Simply is that re-revolutionized him and the book in itself shows you how that moment of what that man said and, and in his steps and that question, what would Jesus do, resonated in every single person in that church. That they questioned everything they did. They questioned, were they truly a reflection of Christ? Were they Christ-like or did they just use the words of Christ but demonstrated very little? Credible book. It was a family, the, oh, you've got to know the family's name. I'll give it to you so I don't get it wrong. It was Janie Tinkelberg, obviously Dutch, Tinkelberg. Family, a wonderful little family, went to, a, again, another Presbyterian church. But she was really stirred because that family loved that book. And here she was, 19 years of age, and, and, and she just had this thing, this something. How do, we, how do we get the message out? How do we influence younger people, older people, to start to look at their own life, that they could start to reflect, to be, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And she came up with this idea, God idea. And she came up with, I'm going to get these little plastic bracelets and just put WW. JD, what would Jesus do? Can anyone remember those? If, if you're in the 90s, possibly. If you're a little bit born during the 90s, you probably were a bit young to actually remember. But the reality is that that, that bracelet was something which reminded, would be reminded. She sold 170 million bracelets from one little idea. She just, and it wasn't for selling them. She was giving them away to start off with. But then people picked up on and it went global. Who had one? I had one. I remember when it was popular. And the idea was, look at me. <laughs> oh, you got a nice little orange one there. Yeah, I've got a yellow one. Great. It wasn't the colour. It was to remind us. And it didn't give you the full interpretation of exactly. Because people, what does that mean? Well, it's WW. And simply, it's to remind me in every situation I face in life, how would Jesus approach this? What would he do? Not what, what would Greg do, what would Jesus do? And today, I guess this sermon is all about that. And in line of that, as a Christian, are we truly reflecting 
made in the very image of God. We are QR code, recognized in heaven and on earth, unique, but a reflection of who he is. Jesus said, as I said before, he would constantly talk to his disciples and not tell them. He would wanted them to watch and see what he did, that they would become, again, allow Jesus to be the model and example to him. In John 13, verse 12 to 15, it's a story of Jesus at the end of almost three years of trying to get through to these knuckleheads. He tried everything for three years and they're still not getting it. They're wrestling over position. They're wrestling and they want to be here. They want to be there. They want to do this. I want to have a go at that. Jesus is getting highly frustrated. It must have been incredible working with these guys. He must have asked the Father occasionally, Lord, couldn't you have given me a better crowd? But he didn't. He got a whole lot of very screwed up, broken individuals that would become some of the greatest voices on the planet because they got a revelation. And that revelation came through the Holy Spirit later on. They had all the information, but the revelation came because it was empowered by through and through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after three years, said, goes, this is it. This has got to be the last shot at it. John 13, verse 12 to 15 says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do, 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 do as I have done to you. You could turn that into a song if you want to actually do that. Give it a shot, Stu. Do, 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 do as I do, 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 do. Anyway, just a thought. But again, in this incredible, Jesus was showing them. He said, what I'm doing, I want you to do. And that was so challenging for them, but so necessary for them to see it. John 5 verse 19 says, the son can do nothing. Jesus speaking of himself. I can't do anything by myself. I can't do it. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does love that. Love that. Jesus is our greatest example of how to be a great follower, but also too how to be a great example and role model to others. Our followability and leading ability is a very important part of our Christian walk, which is a true reflection of who Christ is. Amen? So how do we improve our Christ-likeness? How do we become more Christ-like? What do we need to do? I love that scripture in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He identifies that, and I've read a number of commentaries and, and a whole lot of different books about this, and it's one of the most powerful statements in which we quote, but we have little understanding. And a lot of commentators and, and historians would say, Jesus is making a very simple point. I am the way. What is the way? Watch my behavior. He said it all the time. Come follow me. Come follow me. Come and see. Come and see. Come and look. Come and look. That is the way. Come. How do you model? You model best by not telling first, but by showing first. Then it talks about the truth. What is the truth? Truth is the language, the communication, which backs up what they have seen. Do you remember show and tell as a kid? I, 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 I sort of loved it after I went there. Because when I was, when I was a, a little kid, I, 
going to school, I was in just my first day of school. My mum loved me and I loved my mum. But I remember going to school and she took me to school because I was attached to her leg going to school under her dress. I'm not sure if that was good for her or me. And because I, and I was like, come on, Greg, you need to come. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. <laughs> Shy, introverted, quiet sort of guy. Get to school. She extracts me from her leg. And I'm over there crying. <laughs> and I can remember the teacher's name, Miss Maheen. Can't remember anything else. But Miss Maheen. And she said, Gregory, Gregory, tomorrow I want you to come to school and I want you to bring your favorite toy and show and tell us all about it. And I thought, okay, Mum, you can go now. <laughs> because I knew what I was going to do the next day. The next day I was going to bring my favorite toy. It was called a Tonka toy. The old big yellow Tonka. It was massive. I was tiny, but it looked massive to me. And it was made of metal, had more sharp things on it that today would be banned on the planet because it was a highly lethal weapon. But I loved it. And my father knew I loved it. He even made a bit of a sand pit out there. And I, it kept Gregory occupied. And I'd get my big Tonka toy and put it down the sand pit. And I'd put it in there. And what I'd do is I'd fill it up, get a little shovel and fill up the back of the truck. Like that, and then you know, it had a little thing on the side, and you wound it up, and it would go up and up, up and, and the back, the tipper at the back, and all the sand in the back would tip out onto the sand pit again, and then you'd wind it back down, and, and, and then you'd fill it up again, and you, you'd do this, and then you'd wind it up, and it'd go up, and then go all out, and hours. You wonder how I got this ability to communicate, and that sand pit created great things for me. What opportunities. Amazing. I went to school. I remember going to school. Mum didn't need to take me the next day because it was show and tell day. And I was it. It was my day. I'm carrying my big Tonka toy to school like this. I love my big Tonka. And all the kids go, whoa, it's mine. Went into the classroom and I knew where to put it because Miss Maheen told me to put it. When you come in the classroom, just put it on the show and tell table. I put it on the show and tell table. Everyone came in, I was watching, don't you touch that. That's mine, don't you touch it. Everyone sat down and said, Master, Gregory, why don't you come up and tell us about you, the show and tell table toy that you so love. Got out of my seat. Everyone was watching me. Went over there feeling a little nervous. Red, flushed. This is my favourite toy, my big yellow truck. And what you do is you fill it up with sand in the back of the tipper, like this, and you wind it up. And it goes up, and all the sand goes down. And you wind it down. Thank you. <laughs> and I sat down, but I felt so proud. I reckon my life changed at that moment. That moment I realised I have an opportunity, I should be on the stage, not as a singer, as you. I thought, I loved it. But in that moment, I can still remember the name of the lady who gave me the opportunity. I still remember my favourite toy because I had an opportunity to show and tell. Not just tell, but show, then tell. Love that. 
In 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, it says, Don't let anyone think less of you. This is Paul talking to Timothy because you are young. Be an example. Paul says that be an example, Timothy. Be an example. Be means to become. You may not be that now, but you become it if you keep working on it and keep showing and keep working on it. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. I love that. I love that. There was a survey carried out with teenagers between the ages of 11 and 15. They asked them, what do you want most from your dad? Boys said simply this, I need you to believe in me, dad. Young boys between the ages of 11 and 15 said, dad, I, I want mostly out of you. I want you to believe in me and trust me. That's a challenge some days. Second thing they said, don't withdraw even though I'm withdrawing. Don't move away. I may not seem like I, I, I'm interested, but even though I'm, I, I'm talk, uh, you're talking to me, but I just go, yep, no, nah, you know those sort of ones? You got teenage boys? Hey, son, how are you going? What did you do today? Nothing. So, so was school, what, what did you have? You had sport on today and, and everything like that? Yep. Very frustrating. But we can withdraw. We can move away because they're not giving the right response. But sons are saying, even though I'm doing that, don't do that. Don't do that. And the third thing they said, give me someone to look up to. Love this. Give me someone to look up to, to look up to. Jesus said, All right, the son can only do. He only looks up to see what the father's doing, that the son may do it. Love that. Give me someone to look up to. Show me the man I should be. What did daughter say? I love this. Daughter said, I need you to affirm me. Tell me that I'm beautiful. And I am smart. I'm important. And that I have great value in your eyes. <sighs> Remember, I did a conference, a men's conference years ago over in Perth. And we're over there and we're finishing. I was talking about the relationships we have with our sons and daughters. And in, in that relationship, this guy came up and he said, yeah, great. That was great. He said, that's really helpful. But he said, I have a question for you. He said, what about, I've got three daughters. He said, you know, one daughter, she's doing that, she's doing a bit of modeling, she's great. And the other daughter, she's studying and she's, you know, a very lovely girl and all of a sudden. But I've got another daughter and she's so smart, really smart. And I don't want to lie to her, she's not beautiful. Pardon? Did, did I miss something there? He said, no, no. He said, he said, I just don't know how to approach this because I don't want to be untruthful to her that she's... I don't tell her she's, she's smart. I'm thinking, what sort of clown are you? And then, and then I said, can I, before, I, did, I thought that. I was going to say a few other things and thought, just come over here and, anyway, I didn't. But in that moment, as, as he's standing there and we're, just, we're chatting about these, he continued on and I said, okay, let, let me just ask you this. When your daughter was born, like just hours later, and you were able to go in and hold her in your arms, what did you say? Oh, poor little thing. But she'll be smart. <laughs> I don't think so. Our father would have seen that gorgeous little face and thought she's the most beautiful thing. What changed your mind? And I said, you've been influenced because you're looking at the external and not seeing what you have given, but because she is an imprint of who you are. And she should be beautiful. And you should tell her that she's smart. And you should be speaking into her life. Anyway, he walked away. He didn't say that. But a couple of years later, he came back. He said, Greg, I got so convicted after that day. 
I changed my attitude. And he said, where my daughter seemed to be estranged and always at a distance, she would come up and start hugging me and feeling like we bonded where we hadn't bonded for years. I thought, isn't that amazing? So maybe because of a change and a silly mindset you get, that clock needs to be cursed in Jesus' name and stop. <laughs> Joshua, you did. Let the sun be still. And digital clocks as well in Jesus' name. Bear with me, stay with me. She said, just be the dad. Tell me, tell me, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm smart. The second thing, daughters, that's all I said, the second thing. And said this. She said, what I want most out of my dad is set the standard and be the standard. Love mum. Love mum. Love mum so I know what love looks like. What it looks like. Not what it's been told to you, but what it looks like. The power of being Christ-like is that we're demonstrating more than we're talking. We're showing more than we're talking. When we talk, we clarify what people have seen so they have understanding. Unfortunately, in the educational system, they bring them all in, shove them in university for four years, shove them out, and then they go, I don't think I really like this. Because it sounded good, but when they had to put the hand to the plough, they go, I don't like this job. We've wasted young people's development life educationally because we haven't allowed them to experience what it's like. Hasn't been demonstrated, shown. They've learnt, but they have not been shown. Stay with me, bear with me, trust me. That's whatever pastor says in this church. Just trust me. Not long. Going to have to work on that prophetic gift to speak into clocks because it's not working. Second thing, here we go very quickly. It says, I am the way, the behavior, the action. The second thing is the truth. What is the truth? Speaking, communicating language. But I love how the spin Jesus put on it. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Isn't that a challenge some days? Not just before Julie and I went away and we had to go overseas and she asked me, oh, have you done this? Have you, did you ring the bank and let them know that we're going to be overseas? And, and she'd asked me several times. Not 35, because obviously I would have remembered it if she'd hit 35. It was getting close because she asked me quite a lot. But she asked me and she said, have you done that? And I'm going, oh. I'm struggling. I could just go, I'm on it. Got it. And she said, you haven't done it. Oh, dagnabbit. I just wanted to tell a little lie because it wasn't going to hurt anyone. That I didn't ring the bank. But in that moment, you test yourself. You test the God within you, the reflection of Christ within you. And letting your words be the truth and your truth being all that you speak. And you don't use, when it's a challenging moment, a little lie. Because little lies build into big lies, which end up destroying your life and everything else you love. Amen? Final point, finish with that. There is the behavior. There is the language. Language importance. It brings understanding to what people have seen. And the last part, the life. What is the life? It is the passion, the attitude, the outlook in which we have for life and the future. 1 Peter, love this. 1 Peter 1 verse 15 and 16 says this. But now you must be holy in everything you do. I love the song we've sung about here about holiness. Love that song. You must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. It's mentioned over 500 times. Love this. 
But it's interesting that word holy. What happens when the word holy? Oh, Lord. Jesus. We fall to the ground. It means set apart. It means it has many meanings. But there's one word we've lost, one meaning in there, which is so powerful. Our behavior, our language. But in this last place, that expression of God, the attitude of God, the outlook of God coming out of us. And why is it when we come into church, we have to be holy? Oh, God. No, Lord, we are nothing in your sight. We are mere dirt and worms of no value. Oh, God, forgive us, forgive us. Oh, God, oh, God. And everyone's going, oh, God, oh, God. What happened? Being holy by presentation of God. But one thing we've missed in that word holy, one of its meanings is to be happy. Isn't that fascinating? Can I read 1 Peter to you one more time? But now you must be happy in everything you do. Just as God chose you is happy. For the scripture says, you must not, if you chose to be, you must be happy because I am happy. Wow, what a spin. And so often we miss our being a reflection of Christ. Because we're walking around like we've got a lemon in our mouth because we think that's how it is to be holy. That's not to be that. To be irreverent, to be set apart. But can I ask you to do one thing? One of the most powerful, influential means and methods to impact other people's lives is people are watching. They're listening to your language, but they're also observing something upon your face. They don't look at your feet or your shoes. They look into your face, into your eyes. Into your, they look at your face. What do they see? Oh, God, I'm a Christian, 39 years. No appeal, no interest. The lights, the shades are being pulled down. But when they see a smile on a person's face, they are more receptive. They are more open. They are wishing to dialogue. They observe more because they see something in you because you smile. And if that's a reflection of God, should we not be a true reflection of who God is in Jesus' name? My question to you, and I close with this. Five minutes, 51 seconds. Give me one minute. I'm done. Can I ask you, is your life worth following? Can I tell you? Yes, it is. Because the day Jesus steps into your life, He brings the change. But I don't have any theological background. You can do that later. But are you willing to let other people observe your life? It's a good question to ask yourself because then you go, maybe I shouldn't because mm, people are watching. God's watching. He watches us all the time. But other people are watching as well. And I guess I just want to encourage you is that your life is worth following. Your, D, your QR code is perfect for who you are. But let's turn up the light on that QR code. Let us be a true reflection of Christ. Let your behavior which then follows with language. But let your holiness, your D, 
demonstration of Christ-likeness. Demonstrate what it is to be holy. And that is an attractive, effervescent, bright, appealing, interesting person who smiles in all situations. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Let's just close our eyes. We're going to all pray this prayer together. Why don't we stand? Let's stand. Thank you for those extra few minutes. As I said, I've modified my message. Second time around, you basically get the better message. Well, I'm sorry, the nine o'clock service, they just had to get part A and you got a modified A and got the whole B. But today, I really just want to encourage you all is that your life is worth following. The day Jesus steps into your life, it makes all the difference. And I want to be Christ-like. We want to be Christ-like. Watch the Jesus Revolution move, a fantastic move of just, just starting to see what God can do when people start to actually bring the light back into the world, which brings change. But it all happens because we pray a prayer. And we're going to pray this prayer, and I'm going to hand it over to Lou in just a moment. But I'd love us all to repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to be the Lord of my life, to forgive me, to save me, so that I may be known by you. And today, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. And I accept that I am forgiven and saved in Jesus' name. And Lord, the second part of this prayer is this. And I'd love you to agree with me as I pray this prayer to say amen in agreement. That today, Lord, your word, your life, in which you have laid down for us, you have given us that wonderful person of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to turn up the light. But let us be more Christ-like. Let our behavior, our life, our words, our faith and our belief shine that other people so want what we have found in you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au.